book of Numbers, fourth book in the, in the Bible, Numbers chapter 24, and in the New Testament, Revelation 22. That will be easier to find. Last book in the Bible, Numbers 24, and the very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22. We've been studying for many weeks now the names given to Jesus in the Holy Bible. We've taken looks most recently at Jesus, those names beginning with the letter B, the beginning, the branch, the bread of God, the bread of life. On Thursday night, we dug deep into the Word and studied Jesus Christ, the bridegroom. This morning, the Bible calls Jesus the bright and morning star. He is called the day star and the day spring. He's called the morning star. And all of these connect together. The Bible says in Numbers 24 and verse 15, He took up his parable and said, Balaam the son of Beorth said, The man whose eyes are open hath said, He has said, which heard the words of God, and knew the knowledge of the Most High, which saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance, but having his eyes open, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star. Look at the capital S right there. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth. And Edom shall be a possession. Seir also shall be a possession for his enemies. And Israel shall do valiantly. Out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion. And shall destroy him that remaineth of the city. Now don't lose that place. Revelation 22. Revelation chapter 22. And verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star and the spirit and the bride say come. Father, we thank you this morning that you've given us the Bible to light our way, to show us truth. And we pray, God, that you'd find us willing followers the truth that you set before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you look at that Revelation passage, we read the 16th verse. Slip right back up into verse number 15. Sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. All of us have within us a desire to defend ourselves. And when someone would say to us, you are a sinner, or if we as witnesses for Jesus would say to someone, you are a sinner, the first thing that all of us do is, is we immediately want to go to our own defense and say, wait a minute, I'm not a sinner, or wait a minute, the things I do are not all that bad. But let's for a minute not look at ourselves, let's look at other people. That'll make it easy. 
I don't believe there's a person here that would say murder is a good thing. When you read in a newspaper or hear on a newscast that someone was murdered, I would hope that you've not become so desensitized that you don't pause and say, that's a horrible thing. If someone you knew was murdered, it would quickly escalate in importance and you would say, it's beyond horrible, it's unthinkable. If a loved one, someone you loved and cared for, had their life taken away by another person, you would be grieved, outraged, brokenhearted. Every human emotion possible would be yours because someone had been murdered. Now, let's, let's take another step back and look honestly and admit that all over this world last night and all over this world tonight, Men will murder other men. It's a very dark and troubled world we live in. You could say lying. It's, you know, if somebody said you're a sinner, well, I'm not a sinner. Well, you lie. Everybody lies. We would defend ourselves and say, well, they're little white lies or I had to do it. I was in a bad spot. So, so let's not talk about ourselves. Let's talk about everybody else. When somebody told you they were going to do certain work and didn't do it, it brings you unhappiness. When someone told you they were going to pay you and they didn't pay you, you're upset about that. Look, every person who justifies lying when they lie realizes how awful a thing lying is when they are lied to. And this world is full of lying. And so the sorcery and the, 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 the poor mongers say, well, I, I don't see anything wrong with a man and a woman hooking up on a Saturday night. You would if it was your wife with another man or, or your husband with another woman. What I'm saying is, of course, we all want to defend ourselves. But let's get a little different perspective and look at sin when other people commit it and admit that sin's a really bad thing and it's really messed up the world. Now, the Bible says there's only one hope for delivering this world from all those tears that we shed and all those sorrows that we experience and all those heartaches and disappointments that we know because of sin. There's only one hope for this world. Jesus said, I am the bright and morning star. And you've got all of this sin in verse 15 and the, the rising of the bright and morning star in verse 16. And when the Holy Spirit looks at that and when the church looks at that, they say in verse 17, even so come Lord Jesus. Come and stop the murder. Come and stop the lying. Come and stop the broken homes. Come and stop the immorality. Come and stop the stealing. Even so, come Lord Jesus. But the world, the world being what it is, they know that if Jesus comes and stops other people from sinning, He's likely to come and stop them from sinning. And while they don't want other people to sin against them, they're still not so ready to give up their freedom to sin against others. 
And so the world wants peace, but they don't want Jesus. They don't want to be defrauded anymore, but they don't want Jesus taken over. They want to be safe when they go to town. They want their daughter to be safe when she goes to the park, but they don't want Jesus. You can't have both. Now, back in Numbers, there was a man, he was a king of a very, very wicked people. Evil people. Ungodly people. If I, if I told you this morning, in a mixed company of men and women and boys and girls, what the people who lived in this king's country did, you'd be embarrassed for me to be saying that in front of your wives and your children. I mean, the country this king ruled over was, it was like the United States. It was like the Internet before there was Internet. It was just filthy. Now, into this country is marching God's chosen people, the nation of Israel. And they're coming in there with commandments. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Thou shalt not bear false witness. There's no way these two cultures are going to coexist. A people with holy commandments from a holy God and a people fully given over to the sins of their flesh, it isn't going to work. So the king, he hires one of his fortune tellers, one of his prophets, one of his soothsaying preachers. And he says, I want you to go out for me and curse God's people. And if you go out and curse God's people, then we'll be safe. They won't come in here with all of those commandments and mess up our wonderful society of murder and molestation and perversion and, and kidnapping. And, and we don't want those people here ruining things for us. So why don't you go out and curse them? And so that prophet, he goes out, he stands on a cliff, he looks down in the valley and sees God's people, and he... He starts to try and curse them. And the one true God of heaven begins to overpower his heart and begins to govern his thoughts. And he looks upon those people and he realizes they're God's people. They're blessed of God. I can't curse them. What do I do? If I bless them, I lose my money. If I bless them, I lose my job as the false prophet for the, for the wicked king. But if I curse them, the one true God's liable to snuff me out. So, with that in mind, let's read the verses again in Numbers 24. Numbers 24, verse 15. He took up his parable and said, now, let's do it this way. You're here this morning. Okay, ready? I've got something I need to tell you. You want to hear it? Um, I, the man whose eyes are open, have said. You want to hear it? Um, um, he has said, which heard the words of God. You want to hear it? Um, um, he who knew the knowledge of the Most High. You want to hear it? Uh, uh, um, um, he who wait, wait, saw the vision of the Almighty. Hey, you know what he's doing? He's hoping he can stall long enough for somebody to turn the page and he won't have to say what he has to say. 
How many times can you introduce yourself? How many times can you say, are you ready? (laughs) Not just yet. Are you ready? Not just yet. He doesn't want to say what he's about to say. Because he knows that if he tells the truth, the king that hired him is going to be unhappy with him. The people among whom he dwells are going to be unhappy with him. He sees and knows the truth, but he's stalling, 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 hoping he doesn't have to say it. And finally, out it comes. Verse number 17, we're halfway through the verse before he finally spits it out. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And what's he going to do? Verse 19, he shall have dominion. Somebody's going to show up with the power to stop all this killing. The power to stop all this lying. The power to stop all this stealing. The power to stop all this sin and violence that brings so many tears to our lives. And he's the star with a capital S. And he's the star rising. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it, it, it wouldn't do me any good this morning to pull out a magazine that I bought off the news rack in the drugstore and read you the list of the names of the current stars. It would be outdated six months from now. Five years from now, you would listen to this sermon and laugh at having those people called stars. They come and they go so quickly. But here's the characteristic of all your sports stars. Here's the characteristic of all your movie stars. Here's the characteristic of all your movie stars. They burst into the sky... And then almost immediately they begin to fall. We don't watch them ascend. We watch them crash. They make some movies. They commit adultery. They get strung out on drugs. They go to rehab. They get old. The facelift doesn't work. They're out of the business. We watch them plummet. We watch them sing and dance in their little miniskirt on the Disney Channel. Then three years later, we watch them sing and dance without their miniskirt on MTV. Then three years later, we watch them crash and burn in the rehab facility. They don't rise. They fall. We see the greatest ball catcher that's ever caught a ball. We see the greatest flame-throwing pitcher who's ever thrown flames. And then we see them blow out their elbow. We see them wreck their knee. And next year, they're not even on the screen. And we've got a new superstar. The characteristic of this world's stars is that they are all in decline as soon as they appear in the sky. It's down, down, down. I was in Moldova three weeks ago and I couldn't believe it. Posters in the restaurants of Elvis and Marilyn Monroe. Unfortunately, I didn't speak much Russian. I wanted to tap the people on the shoulders and say, bad news. She's been dead 50 years. She doesn't look like that anymore. In fact, you wouldn't want to see what she looks like now. 
Elvis no longer looks like the king of Vegas. He looks like one of the Grateful Dead. Literally. Look, stars. Oh, he's the greatest. He won't be a year from now. Oh, she's the most beautiful. Not for long. Oh, we've never had a player on our team like him. He won't be there but a year or two. But when that prophet saw a star with a capital S among Jacob, he said, that star's rising. I see a star on the rise. And you know what? Throughout hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of Old Testament Scripture, that star was rising, 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 rising. And one day that star shone brightly across the sky as he laid down his life and died for the sins of the whole world. And then it seemed after that brief flash of light that darkness and and night set in again. Yet the Bible says he's still the star rising out of Jacob. And one day he's going to burst into that eastern sky and herald the coming dawn of a brand new day. And when that star rises to fix himself in the horizon, when that star rises to shine upon this old world, he's going to take dominion and murder's day will be done. Rapes day will be done. Molestations day will be done. Robberies day will be done. The day of DUI will be done. The day of wife beating will be done. The day of kidnapping will be done. Jesus Christ is coming. He's going to fix this mess. Praise be to God. The Bible says, let's go to Luke chapter number 1 in our New Testament. Book of Luke chapter 1. See this world, they're like Balaam, that old false prophet. They see that star rising. But they know that for that star to rise, their society is they know it's going to have to go down. For Jesus to have dominion, sin's day will have to come to an end. Men love their sin. They want everybody else's sin to stop, but they don't want theirs to stop. They want everybody to treat them with respect and kindness and dignity and love, but they don't want to offer that to others. When Jesus comes back, it's going to be universal peace and universal righteousness. Every knee will bow to Him. Every tongue shall confess that He is Lord. And and this whole world's not ready for that. The Bible says in Luke chapter number 1, there's a baby born in a manger. And the Bible says in verse 78, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. So here's a world, a dark world. Here's a world full of death. And when Jesus Christ is born in that manger in Bethlehem, the Holy Spirit of God puts it into the heart of these people to pronounce the day spring from on high. It's come and and light has come into the world. This could be it. This could be the the day we've been looking for and hoping for. But let's read the, the context as we did before. Let's read the passage around it. The Bible says in verse number 74, That he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. 
And thou, child, should be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. And all of a sudden, those who drew so near to that manger begin to draw back. And all of a sudden, those who were so excited about that baby being born, that day spring from on high visiting, start stepping back. Because for that baby to bring about the day you're longing for, he's going to have to bring it in with holiness. And there sure is a lot in people's lives that they know is not holy. And he's going to have to bring in righteousness. And there sure is a lot in people's lives that is not righteous. And he's going to have to remit. He's going to have to take away their sins. And people look at an offer of peace on earth and they begin to reach for it. And the Lord says, not with those sins in your hands. And they recoil. And it says, here's a man that can bring life more abundant. And, and they begin to reach for him. And he says, but it requires holiness. And they draw back. And I'm telling you, there's many a man and many a woman in this very city that when they're offered the, the home in heaven that Jesus can give them, the eternal life that Jesus can give them. The full free pardon of sin that Jesus can give them. They begin to reach His way. But then when they walk in the church house and hear the preacher say that Jesus is holy. And Jesus is righteous. And Jesus wants to set you free from sin. They go out another way with their head hung low and say, I don't know about that. That's not, that's not quite what I was looking for. I'm telling you, if this world is wrong... You can't make it right without changing it. Isn't that reasonable? If your life has gone wrong, it can't be made right without changing it. Jesus isn't going to come and give you peace about murder. He's going to come and give you peace without murder. He's not going to come and give you peace about adultery. He's going to give you peace by setting you free from adultery. You understand? He's not going to come into this world and say, okay, everything's good now. You can do whatever you want now, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, but it all hurts somebody else. I can't sin without hurting you. Yes, you can. I cannot. You hire me to do a job and I don't do the job. That's my sin, but it hurts you. You hire me and I, and I hire you to do the job and I don't pay you. It's my sin, but it hurts you. You, you injure my wife. You, you, you defile my children. You say, what's well, my sin? What's it to you? It hurts me. Sin hurts others. And Jesus said, you want peace on earth? I can bring it. You want the world to be a better place? I can make it that way. But here's the deal. I've got to have dominion over sin or I can't dry your tears. I've got to have dominion over sin or I can't make you free. I've got to have dominion over sin or you can't live in safety. And the world says, not that star then. Give us another movie star. Give us another singing star. Give us another political star. 
That's what they'll say. They'll say, so-and-so candidate for Senate, his star is on the rise. Not for long. Not for long. He's a bright light in the new sky. Shooting star. Flash across the midnight sky and then he's gone. But one day Jesus Christ is going to rise. Look at Second Peter chapter number 1. Second Peter chapter 1. Back toward the back of your Bible. Second Peter 1. Second Peter 1 and verse number 17. Now, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's read verse 19. Look at the end of the verse. Until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. There's a day star. The African, some of the tribal people in Africa, they call the morning star, the, the day star, they call it jumper. You sit, here you sit, it's three in the morning, it's dark, it's cold, sounds are frightening. Four o'clock in the morning, it's dark, it's cold, strange, scary sounds in the night. And then, and then about 5 a.m., it seems like just out of nowhere, boom, the star just shoots right up. On the horizon in the eastern sky. It's just like it just jumps out of the earth up into the sky. It's the day star. It's the morning star. They call it jumper. It just springs up into the sky. You know what can happen to you? Before this day breaks that Jesus is going to bring to this earth, before the full sunlight of His glory comes and shines on this whole world, you know what He can do? He can jump up right now in your heart. He can't take all the killing out of this world, but He can take it out of you. He can't take all the crime and violence out of this world, but He can take it out of you. He's not going to bring peace from pole to pole and, and all around this equator till, till that full day of His reign comes on this earth. But that day star can jump up in your heart right now. Now, how's that happen? Look at Second Peter. Now, let's, let's read the passage around it. Verse 17, For He received from God the Father honor and glory. Where there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And his voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is in any private interpretation. Now, here's what the Scripture says from one end to the other. It's not a private interpretation. It's what the Bible says start to finish. All men have sinned, and sin has brought trouble and sorrow into the world. Now, I don't care how you want to interpret the Bible. Anybody who reads the Bible from start to finish has to admit it teaches that. Everybody sins, and sin has brought trouble and sorrow into the world. That's not a private interpretation. Anybody that reads the Bible, now they can say, well, I don't like that, I don't agree with that, men just wrote it, I don't, but, but you must admit, that's what it says. The second thing it says, you read it start to finish, there is nothing that can take that sin away but faith in Jesus Christ. Now, having read that, you don't have to believe it. Having read that, you can say, I think there's other ways. But if you read the Bible from start to finish, there's only one interpretation possible. God sent His Son to save men from their sins. That's not of any private interpretation. 
So, why does this world go on in such darkness when it has the offer of such light? Why does this world go on in such hopeless despair when it has the offer of such hope? Well, let's reach a little farther in our, in our context. Verse 16, same chapter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Okay, now, let's just, let's reason as, as intelligent human beings who've come to a church today to get some help or to learn something. Let's reason together. A man, a man named Charles Darwin went to an island in the Pacific and saw some freaky looking animals that he hadn't seen in England. And on his way home wrote a book of theories as to what might have happened if there was anywhere for them to happen at some point in time yet to be determined. He wrote a book of fables. Huxley got a hold of it and, and, and other men got a hold of it and they tweaked and they defined and they refined the cunningly devised fables. Today, today, you can go to any college campus in America. You can go in any, any bar room in America. You can stand on any street corner in America and speak to people who will not deny that the Scripture says Jesus is the Son of God. They will not deny the Scripture says He died and rose again. They will not deny the Scripture says He's the only way to heaven. That's not a private interpretation. They know that's what the Bible says. But to receive Jesus Christ, they would have to abandon their cunningly devised fable. They could be free from a life of drunkenness and drug addiction. They could be free from, from a perpetual pursuit of one adulterous affair after another. They could be free from the cursing and the bitterness and the despair that, that fills their life. But they choose to cling to a fable rather than turn it loose and embrace what they know the Bible says. Others cling to different fables, just as cunningly devised. If you partake of the Mass every Sunday all your life, if you had some water sprinkled on your forehead as a baby, if you'll just be a good person, well, how's that for a fable? You understand, the problem in your society is not that people don't know what Christianity stands for. The problem is they are clinging so tightly to something they were taught in their youth or something they were taught in a classroom that they can't bring themselves to let it go in order to embrace the truth, even if it means continuing in a darkness they despise. They will go to a bar and complain about how miserable their life is. 
They will go to a meeting and complain about how unhappy they are with their circumstances. The minute they clock on the job, they're complaining about how they don't like their job. The minute they retire, they complain about how bored they are. And you offer them the happiness that's yours, the joy that's yours, the peace that's yours. And what do they hold in front of your face? They don't say, I've got a better life than you do. They say, well, what about this fable? Isn't that right? You say you can have joy. And they say, well, what about, what about evolution? Well, I don't know. Has it made you happy? Jesus made me happy. Evolution's made you full of, mouth full of cursing and bitterness. Why do you cling to that? Why wouldn't you turn loose what has left you in the dark to enjoy walking in the light? I've got a star who rose in the sky 2,000 years ago. And is, believe it or not, I, I know you wouldn't think this, but his popularity hasn't waned in 2,000 years. Five, well, no, not 500, man. Where, where are we now? 700. 700 years since Chaucer put perversion to rhyme in his Canterbury Tales. The only people who read it are high school kids who are forced to. 2,000 years later, the number one best-selling book worldwide is still the book about Jesus. His popularity is not waning. They gather together. You can get a hundred people to come from all over America to a film festival to watch Laurel and Hardy. You can't put Laurel and Hardy in one movie theater anywhere in America because nobody's going to pay to see them. They're old news. That's yesterday. And yet, from one end of this earth to the other, they're still building churches where people come and sing the same songs about Jesus, hear the same truths about Jesus, say the same prayers to Jesus. Two thousand years later, nobody's tired of him yet. His star continues to be on the rise while everybody else dries up, fades away, gets boring. Nobody cares. It's football season. Aren't you looking forward to seeing old Bronco Nagurski get out there and plow through the line? Aren't you wanting to see Y.A. Tittle drop back and, and pull the Statue of Liberty play? Who? Yesterday's superstars. Helmets with no face guards. High top black shoes, white guys that couldn't run, pro football at its finest. Where are they now? Well, we got a big defensive lineman this year. The guy weighs 215. <laughs> They're 215 now on the junior high school team. What am I telling you? Give me your, give me your singer today. And, your, and listen, the kids graduating from high school today, 
The kids who are in ninth grade today will not listen to the kids' hero when they're in twelfth grade. It's over. It's done. You got five years in the music business. You hit the top. You're done. That's it. You're gone. Well, this oh, he's the greatest country singer of all time. Really? Your dad won't listen to him. Your son won't listen to him. Your grandson doesn't even know who he is. Every other star is a shooting star. A momentary flash of light and it's gone. But this star that that old prophet saw rising out of Jacob, he just keeps rising and rising and rising and rising and rising and rising, rising, saying, there's new life over here. There's hope over here. There's joy over here. There's deliverance from the darkness over here. Hallelujah. Psalm 89. Psalm 89. We'll make two more stops this morning. Psalm number 89. Right in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 89 and verse number 6. Who in the heaven can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that worship, uh, that, that are about Him. O Lord God of hosts, who is a strong Lord like unto Thee or to Thy faithfulness round about Thee? The reason God forbade and was so offended by men worshiping the sun, the moon, and the stars is they're not God. They're just pictures for us of the Son of God. We saw Thursday night, He's the the bridegroom who comes forth and lightens this world like the sun lightens it when it comes up in the morning. We see this morning that He's the day star jumping up in the middle of the night and saying, there's hope in me. In the midst of all this darkness, there's hope in me. And the Bible says, if you, if you look, whether you look in the heavens or look in the earth, Psalm 89 says, there's no one to compare to our God. There's no one like our God. Why would our boys and girls get excited about cunningly devised fables when they could get excited about God? Now, the children in the back, so I'm not going to wreck anything at home this morning, but this is a good time to say this. I was a brand new Christian. I was going to school at... University of Central Florida. I was down there on the campus. And I, I sat down by a guy one day. There's a little fountain there. And I sat down on the, on the bench. I said, can I tell you about Jesus? He said, no. I said, I want to tell you what Jesus Christ did for you and, and how you can be saved. He said, no, you can't tell me. I said, come on, man. Said, let, let me just open the Bible and show you. He said, my parents told me three things when I was growing up. Santa, the Easter rabbit, and Jesus. When I found out the first two were lies, it didn't take me long to figure out the third must be a lie also. You know what got him? Cunningly devised fables. If you tell enough fables, pretty soon people think everything they can't see is a fable. To whom will you compare? The one that brings happiness to boys and girls. To whom will you compare 
the one that can save little boys and girls from the wiles of the devil. To whom will you compare the one that can give abundant life to little boys and girls? Why would you recreate the gifts and the love and the blessing of God and set it forth in the likeness of a star or a sun or a man or a woman or a myth? Why wouldn't you offer this world the truth, Jesus Christ? Well, that kind of risks messing up everything, doesn't it? I don't want a shooting star that's here today and gone tomorrow. I don't want a shooting star that makes me happy until I'm five and then disappears. Makes me happy till I'm seven and then he's gone. I want that star that's going to rise throughout my entire lifetime, lead me and guide me through this dark world. And on my very deathbed, I can look to him in my last hours and know the great day is just on the other side of the rising of this bright morning star. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation 2. Jesus offers Himself this morning to you. He's offered Himself to me. I've been glad to receive Him. The Bible says in Revelation 2, verse number 28, And I will give Him the morning star. I will give Him the morning star. Star. Who gets this morning star? Look at verse 15. Under the church in Thyatira, right? Verse 20, they've got some problems. That woman Jezebel, she called herself a prophetess. She teaches. She, she seduces my servants to commit fornication and eat things sacrificed to idols. Verse 23. Uh, I try the reins and the hearts. Verse number 27, He shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of a potter. Should they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father, and I will give Him the morning star. Here it is again. Every time we read about this light that shines in the darkness, it's necessary for Him to destroy the source of the darkness in order for you to enjoy the light. There's this seducing spirit, the spirit of Jezebel that's encouraging people to commit fornication and to sin against God. Jesus said, I'll take a rod of iron and smash that like like you'd smash a, a piece of pottery. And then the morning star can be yours. And again, the world, when they're offered this light in a darkness, they want to reach for it. But when he says, now, in order to have light, we've got to do away with the darkness. Then they run to some religion, or run to some watered-down church, or run to some compromising friend and say, do you have a Jesus with a dimmer switch? Because we really want some of what Jesus has to offer, but we really like the dark. Is there, is there a way we could like get kind of a 
you know, kind of a 30% of Jesus and just, I mean, enough light to see so we don't stub our toe, but not all the, you know, enough to. That's what the world wants. They want the, they want the light of the world with a dimmer switch. Jesus said in Numbers, Jesus said in Second Peter, Jesus said in Revelation, He said, here's how it's going to work. I can give you light in the darkness if you're willing to let me destroy the darkness in your life. I can give you light. And that's why it's easier to get people to pray a prayer than to get people to get saved. Jesus isn't interested in sitting in your dark bedroom being your little nightlight plugged into the outlet. He wants to come into that room and drive out the darkness and fill that room with light. That's who He is. And before you say no to Him, I just want to tell you that whatever you cling to instead of Jesus, it is a shooting star that it's on its way down. Jesus Christ is the only star with a capital S and He's on His way up. They say Hollywood's where the stars are. The city of angels. Los Angeles. City of angels. But every time I look out there, it looks like a bunch of fallen angels to me. I don't see people go through that door and climb higher. I see them go through that door and hit the skids. But everybody I see walk through the door called Jesus. Hope, joy, peace, love, contentment, charity, life getting better and better and better and better. Why? That star's on the rise. He's on the rise. Hope you know Him. Hope you'll trust Him. It is a dark world out there. You don't believe me? Just look at the headlines for one week. Look at the headlines for one week and say, why do I want to be part of that when I could be part of this? Jesus, the answer, still is. Still is. Praise the Lord. Father.